Welcome to the Revenue Execution Podcast Series. My name is David Johnson, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Mendelson, VP of, uh, for the Center of Excellence at Model N. Jesse, welcome, and tell us a little bit about your background. As was said, my name is Jesse Mendelson. I've been with Model N for a while, almost 14 years, and I am currently the VP of the Center of Excellence, meaning I run our services organization. Um, my comfort zone at Model N has always been the government area and, and uh, general commercial processing for government and commercial for the uh, N platform. And I've been in services this entire time, so I'm very pleased to work with our customers and continue to work with our customers. Fantastic. Um, sounds like you get to uh, do a lot of things in that role. I imagine you're exposed to a lot of different variety and different customers uh, doing that, uh, running the center of excellence. Absolutely, and we also get the pleasure of rapidly responding to industry changes. We have had to do this before, all the way back to the Deficit Reduction Act, the final AMP rule, and smaller legislative and commercial changes in the past decade and a half. Nice. So, with that, um, there's you know government regulations and, and uh, uh, rules and things like that are kind of a constant for everyone. Uh, life sciences is is not excluded from that. In some cases, it's a heavily regulated industry. So I think you know they probably have to be a little more fleet than others. Recently, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, proposed some a new piece of legislation, and it would force pharmaceutical companies to change the way that they discount their products. Um, the title of the law is Removal of Safe Harbor Protection for Rebates Involving Prescription Pharmaceuticals and Creation of New Safe Harbor Protection for certain point-of-sale reductions in price on prescription pharmaceuticals and certain pharmacy benefit manager service fees. I actually had to take a breath um, in between <laughs> saying that is such a long title. Um, Jesse, when you decided uh, that we wanted to tackle this subject for the podcast, you, you kind of broke up the topic into three parts. And uh, how did we get here? What is the potential ecosystem and consumer impact? And finally, what can pharmaceutical companies do to prepare? On today's episode, we are going to discuss the potential impacts to the ecosystem. So, uh, Jesse, once again, thank you for, for joining us on, on part two. How do you see these proposed changes impacting pharmaceutical companies in, in different aspects of their business? For example, just from a payments perspective. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's going to impact potentially profoundly. Uh, as I said during the last session, uh, there's a uh, well, tried and true method that pharmaceutical companies use right now to provide discounts to Part D utilization. And there's entire applications and you know, rooms in our pharma companies dedicated to receiving, churning, analyzing Part D utilization and paying rebates in exchange for coverage and preferred coverage and formulary and these, these types of things for both commercial and Part D plans. Uh, that could be going away. I, I mean, the, the, the formulary negotiation would likely still occur, uh, the, or the tier negotiation will still occur between a PBM and a pharmaceutical company, but it will essentially stop there. There won't be these types of payments potentially exchanged between a PBM and a pharmaceutical company. That means the payments will be made in order to net down the purchases, the upfront discount, the upfront purchase price of these drugs to either wholesalers or pharmacies, or pharmacies via wholesalers. So an entire new method of payment could be introduced because of this, 
and a, a very tried and true method of payment that everybody is used to could be completely going away because of this. So it's, 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 a, it's an interesting to think about, and there will definitely be uh, payment impacts. Okay. So in all high-volume businesses today, there's an interchange of, of data that occurs just to, to sort out inventory and pricing and, and, and things like that. What's, what's the potential data impact for these guys? It will be a, a potentially very profound data impact. If you think about it, this means that every single patient who walks into, for argument's sake, Walgreens, who has a Part D plan, they will get their prescription filled and they will pay their copay. Behind the scenes, for every single script filled, for every single script filled, there's the potential for that line of data going back either via a wholesaler or directly or via some type of data exchange that does not yet exist, uh, uh, back to the pharmaceutical company so that pharmacy can be made whole, so that the pharmaceutical company can make a payment netting that, uh, that, for that pharmacy down from what they purchased the drug at down to the actual uh, price that they got paid by Medicare Part D. That's, a, that's, a, that's an important data perspective, largely because that overall process does not yet exist. Now, there is a very established process between wholesalers and pharmacies for chargebacks, where a, where a wholesaler sells a drug for less than it purchased the drug for, and therefore it sends a payment request to pharmacies and, and revenue management systems, including Model N, adjudicate and validate and pay that chargeback. However, those are on a much broader volume. So that's on a crate of pills sold. That's on, on a... You you know, a, a large volume of pills, not at the script level. So even if we try to leverage the traditional chargeback model from that data perspective, this means that instead of having one line when you sell a crate of your product from the, from the wholesale of the pharmacy, you could potentially have millions of lines. And the validation doesn't only need to uh, check if the, if the drug was sold at the right price to the wholesaler, but it has to check if the individual patient was on the right plan at the right time and, and the right formulary status for the right product. So from a data perspective, it's not just creating or reaching consensus on the way data will be exchanged, but the volumes are potentially much greater than what manufacturers typically deal with from the chargebacks perspective. Wow. So it's funny. Um, you look for, they're, they're looking to decrease prices, right, uh, on pharmaceuticals. But for a certain time, time frame, they've made things so much more complex for the entire ecosystem, right? It's going to be interesting to see what the short-term and long-term impact is for payment data. Agreed. Absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to be an ne interesting next, next 10 months or longer if, 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 the, if the date gets extended. It's going to be very interesting to see what we as industry reach consensus on. Yeah. So uh, discounting, you know, it kind of still has to occur, right? I mean, it occurs in other industries where, hey, this customer is buying a ton of volume for me and this customer is buying five units from me. There, the idea of discounting, how is that impacted in this sort of new model? Exactly. And to be clear, it's a good question. To be clear, uh, the government is not saying discounting is not allowed. They're not saying that. They're just saying that it, discounting for these types of plans, Part D, managed Medicaid, cannot happen 
directly via this rebate, via this tried and true rebate methodology that everybody's used to. It has to happen via an upfront discount. Now, remember, Medicaid and Medicare, their discounts in many cases are mandatory. They're legislated. So it's not like a company can say, oh, I'm just not going to discount these government programs and that solves my problem. Companies have to discount these government programs. There's rules and certain things in place that require these government programs to get lower prices and you know, not universally, but but in many cases, for the purposes of this conversation, and and so manufacturers were still happy discounting. Now, I've spoken to a couple of manufacturers, and some have said, "Well, you know what we're going to do? You know what we're going to do? We're just going to decrease our list price." We're just going to decrease our list price. We're going to just take that hit and come what may. We're going to get rid of all these rebates, and we're not going to go crazy. We're going to sell to wholesalers, and, and, and we're going to have wholesalers sell to, 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 to pharmacies already at a much lower price and, and, uh, and therefore kind of not circumvent, but find a way at least for some products around this in this complexity. Now, I don't quite see that happening. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot to ask a manufacturer to stomach. And also, whether that will be effective or not really is not, not determined. Remember, behind the scenes, after all rebates are paid and said and done, the net price is, uh, the list, the price is already netted down to this price anyway for the manufacturer. So it might work for them as an easy kind of way out of this ecosystem shift, but at the end of the day, it might not actually, you know, uh, provide the proper incentives to the plans or even result in lower drug prices overall. Yeah. Okay. What about um, – so that's, that's kind of interesting. What about global pricing in general? So U.S. law impacting how they're going to price here. What about I'm a pharmaceutical and I want to price my products globally. What do they have to do now? What are they facing? Well, it's interesting because global pricing, as I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast know, is very different than what rate pricing happens in the United States. And, and global pricing largely uses uh, complicated reference models to market baskets of prices in other, in other, in other countries. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, Germany measures its prices against the same prices in France, and, and France measures against prices in the U.K. and in Canada, those types of things. Now, in those market baskets, right now, the United States is never, if rarely, included because the list prices are just so high. It's, it's not something that another country really wants to, wants to track against. Now, if this does result in, in, in lower pricing uh, across the board, and, and if a, some other proposed theoretical international reference plans also put up by the Trump administration comes into fruition, I guess potentially we can get to a model where it's more similar uh, for Medicare uh, to, to the global pricing model. Uh, but I would say we're very, very far away from that, at least at this point. Okay. More of a long-term Exactly. And to that note, a concept of reference pricing or the concept of somehow pegging or, or monitoring U.S. drug prices by comparing to other countries, that has been also been brought up by the Trump administration. That, that, that has been also, not yet in a, in, a, in a law or a rule, but that has definitely been brought up as, as something that, that, that is being examined actively by the current administration. Okay. All right, so we talked about impact to pharmaceutical companies, and we kind of touched on impact to the ecosystem. If you look at the ecosystem holistically, what are we talking about from, from an impact perspective? Well, it's interesting. I, I, the rule itself is asking for guidance from wholesalers, and I think that's very important because I think wholesalers, 
they have the most to gain, the most to lose, and maybe the largest role in this, because for most, especially branded drugs and, and generics even as well, the wholesaler sits in between the pharmaceutical company and the pharmacy, meaning the pharmacy actually isn't buying anything from the pharmaceutical company, meaning that any discount that the pharmacy enjoys has to go to the wholesaler. So the wholesaler has to provide the discount on one end, collected the delta from the other end, and the wholesaler has to have the data, the IT, the wherewithal, the exchange process to be able to manage all these handshakes within certain SLAs. You know, remember, pharmacies need to get paid quickly, and then they're used to getting paid within a couple weeks from PBMs. Uh, that same thing has to happen here for the purposes of from the wholesale and from the pharmaceutical manufacturer. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the larger and smaller wholesalers react to this and what types of feedback and guidance they provide to the government in response. I'm looking forward to that. So for the more proactive group of businesses and wholesalers in, in, in the ecosystem, is this maybe an opportunity for them to be more competitive and to grow? Agreed, agreed. And I and granted just in the past few, you know, several weeks since this was launched, uh, since this was published, uh, that there already are murmurs from certain wholesalers about ways that they're examining leveraging existing offerings that they have to support this. For example, ways of, of, of transmitting from pharmaceutical, sorry, from pharmacies to pharmaceutical companies information about each individual script or certain switches that they already use for communications with other players in the ecosystem that they, they can apply to this. And if a, pharma, if a wholesaler is very quick with this, and if a wholesaler is very uh, uh, robust with a, an industry solution for this, saying, hi, we, McKesson, or we, Marisource Bergen, this is how we're going to handle this, jump on this, they'll largely get the industry to go and lockstep with them, given that everybody right now is searching for a solution. I absolutely would say that wholesalers have a big opportunity here. That's great. So ultimately, the goal is to make make things cheaper for the consumer. So what, what is going to be the impact of the consumer? Is it going to be more difficult for people on, uh, for Part D uh, recipients to, to get their pharmaceuticals? Are they going to pay less? Is it going to have negligible impact? What are your thoughts there? You know, it's interesting because the, the, the goal of decreasing drug prices is to decrease the drug prices for everybody, everybody from the uninsured to the well-insured to, to pharmacies, the hospitals. It's to universally decrease, decrease drug prices. So the, the people who are hurt the most by very high drug prices are people who don't have coverage or, or have poor coverage and are prescribed drugs where there's no patient assistance programs, and they're forced to pay close to or at the actual list price, which very few people actually pay. Now, Part D recipients already pay discounts. They already only have a copay and these types of things. So the question is more broadly is, is will making this change initially for Part D and Medicaid and eventually, eventually, uh, uh, potentially for the entire commercial PBM market, will this actually decrease that list price and prices throughout the whole chain enough that we'll see real drug price decrease impact uh, across the board and decreased healthcare spend, yet with still robust pharmaceutical companies investing in, re in research? You know, I honestly don't know, but I think this is worth a shot and has a greater data-backed uh, uh, chance than some of the more how do I say, uh, unfounded claims of the reasoning behind high drug prices. How's that? Yeah, yeah okay. That makes sense. So you talked about the whole 
sailors maybe being a beneficiary here. Who's what's your feel on who's going to be the biggest beneficiary? Are there winners and losers in this, or is it once everything shakes out, it's business as usual? You know, I, I would say there's definitely a potential loser, and that would be the PBMs. Uh, this, this, if this goes into play for Part D, and then then more broadly, if we get to a world without rebates. In any way you want to spin it, the role of the PBM is decreased. The PBM still will negotiate, you know, for formulary. The PBM will still, you know, pool lives from various plans and, and, and do other things that it was originally established to do to get preferential drug pricing for manufacturers. But they'll be removed from the entire actual process of negotiating, uh, you know, more active rebates and collecting these billions and billions of dollars in rebates. Uh, it's interesting because PBMs very much go on the record again and again and saying, oh, no, we don't keep those rebates. Those billions of dollars we keep in rebates, we pass it on to plans. And there is some data behind that. But at the same time, PBMs are also addicted to these rebates, and this is the way it's been managed, managed for years, and there's billions of dollars at stake here. So, so I think the PBMs and the plans are really going to have to take a hard look at, at, at what their futures are going to look like without these rebates, with these billions of dollars in payments just kind of – moved away from them and discounted in another way. So that, that, that's something to absolutely keep in mind. The, the other thing that I would, I, I would say is from a – those would be, I wouldn't say losers, potential losers. This is all shaking out. From a yeah. winner's – from winners, I don't know. Ideally, we'll all be winners. You, me, everybody will have lower drug prices because, you know, the, 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 the middlemen markups and this complexity is removed from the system, which causes, you know, pharmaceutical companies, wholesalers, and, and pharmacies to really focus on their core missions and not have, you know, you know there's this complicated ecosystem behind the scenes. Uh, that's the eventual goal. Whether we'll get there, as you said, we'll see this all shake out and see what happens. Okay. Um, so, if I'm a if I'm somebody in the ecosystem, what's how do I measure the impact and change to my business model? Is it is this going to be a complete transformation? Is this going to be a, a you know a, a change in a, a single day to day process? What can I quantify the change to my business model from this yet? So I think it's important to start looking at the types of data that you're currently exchanging with wholesalers and pharmacies the types of data and payment exchanges that are out there, and who in your organization is responsible for doing those things. And start involving those people as quickly as possible. Because the eventual answer is going to be in that group. It's going to be a minister from that group, your, your chargeback people, quote, unquote. And it's also going to be, um, it, or it will be administered from that group, or it will be, um, you know, established by that group or cooperated with that group from other pharmaceutical companies. Now, the flip side of the house, the, the, the PBM group, uh, they need to understand that their lives are going to change as well. They're no longer going to be processing Part D rebates, or they're going to be processing very different Part D rebates. They're going to be, they're going to be processing just flat fee for services and payments to PBMs for their services and not these mass utilization rebates. They need to understand that as well. So right now, it's just it's just keep your ear to the ground and listen to podcasts like this. Talk to your talk to your industry partners and and try to be on top of it when it consensus starts to form about the way we're going to do things. Okay. Jesse, any closing thoughts regarding potential impact of this proposed legislation? 
So I really encourage manufacturers to work together on this. Uh, go, go to conferences, you know, reach out to vendors, including a Model N and your auditors and your attorneys and your consultants, and get as much information as possible on this. Because the quicker we as an industry come to consensus, the better it will be for all of us. I also encourage you to start really examining financial implications of what this means both to you as a company and also to eventual strategy changes for your drug prices. If you can already start predicting, hey, I think this actually might lower our list price if we do this, that's important to know. That's important for other people in the industry to start realizing as well versus actually we've, we've done our actuarial math, we've done things here, and we think we're just moving, we're, we, we think we're just moving money. We think we're just moving money instead of paying PBM, we're paying the wholesaler. I don't see how this will have an impact at all. Those questions also need to be answered, and they might be able to be answered sooner rather than later. So that would be my, my kind of closing thought. Okay. Thank you very much, Jesse, for, for joining us today. My pleasure. Yeah, great. Um, we, we will look forward to hearing from you more on our next podcast as we close out this, uh, this topic for, for the near term anyway. Uh, in addition to this podcast, listeners can go to modelin.com for more information about the safe harbor changes for prescription discounts. Uh, we have a detailed blog post at modelin.com. And we will continue to publish more content as we learn more about this proposed uh, legislation. Finally, I'd like to encourage listeners of the podcast to register for Rainmaker 2019, which is going to be in Miami Beach starting on March 18th at the beautiful Fountain Blue Resort. It's our annual industry and customer conference, and this year we're going to have Dr. Adam Fine as one of our many guest speakers. Uh, Dr. Fine has been key in producing the proposed legislative uh, standards, and he's also a thought leader within the industry and a major influencer. Uh, so his thoughts and insights are can't miss if you are a, a pharmaceutical customer. We'll also have breakout sessions on this topic, and there's going to be plenty of opportunities to dis discuss this, uh, these changes with your peers and with other subject matter experts. And in addition to Dr. Fine, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Clayton who is a world-renowned photographer and a brilliant storyteller and a highly sought-after uh, speaker. So to register for Rainmaker 19, go to modeln.com slash Rainmaker. Full agenda and, and more details are listed there. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Revenue Execution Podcast Series hosted by Model N.